Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Grace. All of you joining us online, those of you at Saratoga, Half Moon, and Latham, I'm just stoked that you are with us today and excited about what God's going to do as we continue to worship him today. Hey, before I dive right into today's word from God's word, uh, let me mention a couple of things that are super important. One, Christmas Eve. As your campus pastors have been telling you, we have four services at each campus, and uh, many of you are registered already for one of those services. That is awesome. I know that many of you will be joining us online. We're excited about that as well. We will have an online experience at each of those times, but I just urge you to take advantage of that. Obviously, we're living in a time uh, that we will never forget. No matter how long we live, we will never forget the Christmas of 2020. And for those of you who choose one of those service times to be physically present with us, I urge you to come expecting great things from God. I'm stoked about that. And then one other thing before we dive in. Next Sunday at Grace, I just want to highlight this for you. We're going to kind of address all of the stress because Christmas is a time of tremendous stress for millions and millions of people. And, and I'm calling the message, how can I deal how can I deal with the stress? And during that message, I'm going to provide a special time to pray specifically for you. Those of you who are going through various levels of turmoil and stress in your lives, I, I don't want you to miss that. So that's why I'm taking a moment here to highlight it. That's next Sunday right here at Grace Fellowship. Well, when you think of Christmas, what do you think? Chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack Frost nipping at your nose, you know, kind of that traditional feeling. Or do you think of something different? When you think Christmas, do you think crowded malls, bustling with frenzied shoppers, parking lots that are overwhelming, everybody's stressed out, everybody's trying to get an edge and get ahead, cutting you off in traffic? trying to figure out, you know, how they can make this Christmas extra special? Do you think of cooking and feast and relatives, including the weird ones, right? We've all got some weird relatives in our family coming to visit. Is that what you think of at Christmas? Well, I thought about this quite a bit. I actually literally said, if somebody would press me to the wall and said, you've only got one word, one word to describe Christmas, what word would you choose? That was hard, but I, I literally went through the exercise just for my own sake, and I, you may not like my word. You may want a different word. If I had to use one word, it would be the word giving, giving. Now, there's multiple layers to that, but to me, the word giving catches and captures and expresses what Christmas is all about, perhaps better than any other single word. Just a few weeks ago, Emily Bug and Billy Lewis gave a wonderful gift to some folks who were really hurting. Now, Emily and Billy, a young couple in Chicago, had been preparing like 
young couples do for their dream wedding when COVID-19 brought all the activities there in Chicago kind of to a screeching halt. And so in the weeks that followed the shutdown, Emily and Billy tried to pick up the pieces of their wedding. Now imagine the disappointment, and some of you have been through this this year, trying to have a wedding or trying to reschedule a wedding and all the headaches that go with that. And some of you have postponed weddings and you've had family members who've gone through this. You you know what a nightmare it can be. But imagine this. All the festivities of this huge dream wedding they had planned, but now they've got a difficult decision. What are we going to do? So they made the choice. They called all of their guests. They canceled their flowers. They found out which deposits they could recover and which of them would be lost. But rather than wait to be wed at a later date, Emily and Billy decided to marry at City Hall, and they donated, get this now, their entire catering budget to feed Thanksgiving dinner to some 200 individuals at a nonprofit organization called Thresholds, individuals who are suffering from mental illness. Now, I think that is awesome. What an amazing gift Emily and Billy gave. I believe that's the spirit of Christmas, giving. That's my one word. Now, I'm curious, and I'd like to see a show of hands. How many of you have participated or will be participating, yes, in spite of the pandemic, how many of you are participating in a gift exchange this year? Could I see your hands? Oh, that's a lot. Wow. Yeah. This is continuing, this tradition of giving in spite of this coronavirus. You know, gifts typically say a lot about the giver. Now, men, let me talk to you, those married men here for just a moment. If your wife is looking for more romance in your relationship and you decide to give her a vacuum cleaner, yeah, that says something about you. It really does. Among other things, it says you're clueless and you're probably not going to have a very happy Christmas this year. Well, gifts definitely say something about the giver, but they often say something about the one receiving the gifts as well. For instance, I know a lot of people that their favorite gift is to get a gift card to one of their favorite restaurants. Now, the reason that means so much is it just kind of represents having this extra money, if you will, that you can just go out and eat. You have this money where you don't have to cook. You don't have to dip into your food budget. You can just go out and have a relaxing evening. It represents that the recipient of that gift card loves the carefreeness of a relaxing evening. Gifts definitely say a lot about the one receiving the gift. When I think Christmas, I think giving, and this is the little verse that kind of cinches it for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. To me, this is the ultimate Christmas verse. It simply says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's it. That indescribable gift that we celebrate at Christmas, of course, is Jesus 
himself. He's the greatest gift of all. And he came, as you know, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So I want you to listen today as I read the traditional Christmas story as told by Matthew. I'm going to read from Matthew's gospel, chapter 2. And this is the part that tells about the visit of the Magi. And then we're going to take some time and unpack this and see what we can learn about the meaning of God's indescribable gift at Christmas. Because the title of today's message is, what is it all about? That's a question many people ask this year as they see all this attention to Christmas, but honestly wonder deep in their hearts, what is this truly all about? Matthew 2 reads, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he called them, or excuse me, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And then, he, then they quote from Micah, the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, notice, no longer at a manger scene, no longer at a stable. When they <coughs> came to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. When they, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, <coughs> they returned to their country by another route. Now, why did these strangers from the east fall down, bow down, and worship this little baby? And why did they bring him such unusual gifts? The answer to that tells us something about the meaning of Christmas, what it's truly all about. Now, if you've ever studied the background of these magi or these wise men, as they're often called, you know they were more like the philosophers, the astrologers, and the astronomers of their day. They were more like doctors, well-respected for their erudite wisdom and insight. And the gifts that they brought, we're going to look at them today and examine them because 
as I say, gifts say a lot about the giver, but they also say a lot about the one receiving the gifts. And these three gifts, gold, incense, and myrrh, tell us a whole lot about who Jesus is and why he came. First of all, the gift of gold. It's universally recognized that gold is a gift that belongs to kings, and they called him. They called him that. They called him a king. Let me look at it again. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, here it is, where is the one who has been born king, king of the Jews? They called him a king. In the Old Testament, we read of Queen Queen of Sheba, who came to see Solomon, and she brought him boatloads of gold as a gift. Seneca, the historian, tells us that one could approach a Parthian king only if bringing gold. Interesting. I spoke last weekend about Alexander the Great and how that he conquered that part of the world. Well, guess what? His father, known as Philip of Macedon, when they discovered Philip's tomb, guess what? It was laden with these treasures of gold. Why? Because he was a king and the father of a king. Gold is a gift for a king. And a king is one with authority. And so I want to get a little personal now and ask you, have you submitted your life to the authority of King Jesus. Scripture calls him the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what Christianity is really all about, it's an invitation where God has given us the gift of his son, given us an offer of forgiveness and eternal life, and we then are called to come and experience him. It often begins in earnest with a moment where we bow our knees and bow our heart to God, the great king, and we invite him. We, we yield our lives. We invite him to be our savior and our Lord. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> it's the beginning of a journey of a lifetime. It happened in my life when I was 13 years old. It can happen to you today if that's an experience you've never had. But I, I need to just share with you something. And again, the Bible is my authority for these things. I, I'm not making them up out of my head. Scripture basically says this. You can either bow to King Jesus now. I know it sounds brash. Or you will bow to him later. It's that audacious, really, the claim of Scripture. It says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will bow to the king now because we want to or later because we have to. And so let me ask you again, is Jesus, is Jesus the one who is ruling and reigning as sovereign king in your life? And I want you to also know that as we talk about following Christ, this Christ-following life, we're not talking about him doing some little minor cosmetic surgery in our lives. You see, when 
When I bowed my knee to Christ intentionally at the age of 13, guess what? He had this radical transformation in mind for me. He had a a plan for my life, a purpose, and he's got one for your life as well. Have you bowed your knee, bowed your heart, and yielded your life to the king? He wants to change us, folks. He wants to change us from the inside out. He wants to change the way we live our lives. He wants to give you a reason to get up every day. I got up this morning, still dark, of course, at this time of year. And I just immediately, just naturally, it just happens every morning, no matter how I feel. I just begin to thank the king. Do any of you do this? I just begin to praise him. I just begin to thank him for life. And then I went out on the streets began to run and work out, do all these exercises, metabolics out on the streets. And somebody watching that probably would have thought, this guy is nuts, he's crazy. But oh, if Troy knew the prayers I pray, if Troy only knew these unsuspecting neighbors of ours, if they only knew the prayers I pray early in the morning because King Jesus has a plan, not just for my life, he has a plan for Troy and for Clifton Park, and for Saratoga, and Wilton, and Half Moon. God's sake, he has a plan for Dwaynesburg. He has a plan for Skill. He has a plan for Glenmont. He has a plan for your community. Have you yielded your life? Have you got in on the agenda of King Jesus? I know you think I'm nuts if you don't believe the Bible or don't have a Christian worldview, but we will bow now or we will bow later. Is he your sovereign king? This is huge. He wants to use your life for his glory. Isaiah the prophet, hundreds of years before Christ was born, made this statement, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Hundreds of years before he was born into this world, that's what Isaiah said his life would be about. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Hitler, this maniacal dictator, boasted that the Third Reich would last a thousand years. This says the government of Christ will last forever. It'll be built on justice. All people level. You want to know what this is all about that we're doing here today? Those of you who are checking out Christianity, God is building a kingdom. It's not political. He's building a kingdom where the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's no discrimination based on education or race. Everyone is humbled before the king. Back in the 19th century, a group of English literary artists gathered 
for an evening together, one of their monthly literary society meetings. And they started talking about maybe how they would react if various famous literary personalities walked into the room. How would they act if Sophocles came in or or St. Augustine, the great theologian, or how about St. Thomas Aquinas or Chaucer or Francis Bacon? And they, they named other names and they talked about how they would respond to these various writers they respected. And someone asked, I wonder what we would do if Shakespeare came in the room. What would we ask him? What would we talk about? And then someone slipped into the cracks of the conversation. How would we react if Jesus Christ came through that door? And it said that Charles Lamb rose at that moment to his feet, rather dramatic in the midst of these friends. And he said, if Shakespeare were to enter this room, we would all rise to meet him, I think. But if That person, Jesus Christ, were to come into it, we should all fall down and kiss the hem of his garment. Gifts tell us so much about the one receiving them, and this gift of gold reminds us at Christmas time that Jesus is the king, the one to whom every knee will bow. But let's look briefly at this second gift, the gift of incense, or as it's called, frankincense sometimes. As I understand it, I've researched this just a little bit. Apparently, it's a whitish kind of substance that it's very fragrant, and it comes from the trunks of trees, as I understand it. And throughout Jewish history, incense was an emblem in the temple of prayers rising up into the presence of God. You see that in the book of Revelation as well. It talks about the prayers, the incense rising up into God's presence. And this incense was for the anointing and the setting apart of the one who was to be a priest. God said to Moses that when a priest is anointed, this frankincense is to be used. Now, isn't that interesting? Do you find it weird that these wise men, these magi, would bring incense to a little child? God is saying to us unequivocally, this child is to be a priest. This is the mediator, the one that comes between us and God. Now, here's the problem with humanity. The problem with a person like Rex Keener is that I have no basis for getting to God on my own. There's no way I can. I'm not good enough, smart enough, wise enough. I'm not pure enough. I'm not holy enough. I have blown it morally way too many times. I have sinned over and over again in my life. There is no chance for me getting to God on my own. I need a mediator. Can I tell you what God has done for us through Jesus Christ? He has given us that mediator that we need. Paul, the apostle, puts it like this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, for there is one God and one mediator. Think about that. One between God and men. Who is it? The man Christ Jesus. He's our mediator. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And then notice this bold invitation. Let us, let us. It's like the salad bar of the Christian. Let us. Let us, therefore, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Do you need a priest this Christmas? Do you need someone who can help you connect with God in a real and meaningful way? We all need that mediator. And the testimony of Scripture And the testimony of millions of believers is that that mediator is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our priest. And he's not a priest who's far away, living in an ivory tower, untouchable. No, he moved into the neighborhood. See, that's the message of Christmas. God is a giver. That's the word I would choose, giving. It captures it. And he gave us this indescribable gift of his son. He moved into the neighborhood with us. He moved into the hood. He moved into our community so he can identify with life right where you live it. He knows what it's like to hurt. He knows what it's like to be hungry, to weep, to have people betray him, to be misunderstood. And that's why we can come to him in confidence, knowing that he has the understanding and the sensitivity and the insight that we need. Who is Christ? He's the great king to whom every knee will bow, and he is the great priest, the mediator between us and God the Father. But what about that third and final gift, the gift of myrrh? Again, as I understand it, and based on my brief research, It also is a product made from trees. Bible scholars and ancient historians say the principal use of myrrh was for the preservation or embalming of dead bodies. Now, wait a minute. Why would they bring a gift like that to a baby? It seems grotesque, outlandish. You don't bring that to a child unless... The destiny of that infant beyond all other people is most unusual. And of course, the fact they brought him myrrh suggests that much of the meaning of Jesus' life was in his death. Yes, he was born to live a perfect life. Yes, He was born to teach as no one had taught. Yes, but he was also born to die. And what does that mean for us? If we're asking the question today, the title of this message, what is it all about? What is the real meaning of Christmas? Here it is. Christmas is about God giving us the ultimate indescribable gift. And to me, that's the best news of all. He's our king. He's our priest. He's the one who came to die, and he can change our lives today. I want you to not miss that part of it. 
Christmas time is not a time when we give a nice, quaint, little precious nod to the past and just remember, oh yeah, something happened 2,000 years ago. No, no, no. Christmas is a time when we celebrate God is still changing lives today. Because would you agree with me that Christmas is a time of intense loneliness for many people? We sing about peace and joy and love and all that, but wow, Christmas is anything but that for the majority. It's a time of turmoil. And on top of all of this, we live in a time when many people are suggesting there's absolutely no meaning in life. I read of one survey that was done, it was more like a poll, if you will, of a campus, 15,000 students, two thirds of the students could not say that there's any purpose at all to life. One cartoonist left a suicide note saying, I'm tired of trying to think of another gimmick to get through the day. Jesus comes into that world in the midst of the despair and the depression, and the doubt, and he says, I can change your life. Listen, he's changed mine. He's changing the lives of hundreds of people at Grace Fellowship. I commend him to you as the king and the priest, the one who came to die for our sins. Does your life need a new direction? Does this Christmas time find you physically defeated and emotionally empty and spiritually flat, listless, weak? The very wonder of Christmas is that the God of this universe can come in our weakest moments of life and demonstrate divine strength. I've seen it. I've experienced it over and over and over again. It's usually at this time of year that we start hearing Handel's Messiah. When people can gather safely and all that, it's just a tradition at Christmas. It is sung by choirs all over the world, considered one of the greatest pieces of music ever written. Do you know the story behind that? In 1741, George Handel, the British composer, was utterly broke financially. He had been paralyzed by a stroke. His credit had been called in. Handel was literally within days of being put in debtor's prison, which in that day was a catch-22. I mean, unless somebody benevolently paid off your debts, you were going to spend the rest of your life in debtor's prison. It was during those days... Over a period of weeks, he wrote the Hallelujah Chorus. Now, perhaps for you, things might look bleak this Christmas season. I'm just here to declare to you, Jesus Christ will come into your weakness, your despair, your depression, your doubt, and he will show himself strong. It's in our greatest weakness that he shows his divine power. So what's the good news for you this Christmas? 
in a society where it seems like nothing endures, God says, I want to give you eternal life that is as enduring and more enduring than gold. In this world, sick with the putrid smell of loneliness and isolation and separation from God, Jesus, the great mediator, comes and says, look, I want to introduce you to God and make a way for you to know him. I want to give your life a desirable aroma, just like frankincense. And on a planet where people often prefer death to life, the one who came to die says, I want to give you a reason to live. I want to ask you again, do you know him today? Have you ever opened your life to him? And right in this moment, if God the Holy Spirit is drawing you, I invite you to reach out in your heart and spirit. Reach out with your yearning soul right now and invite him to be your Savior and Lord. Would you pray with me, please? those listening online at each of our locations, would you take just a moment right now, and as I bow my head, I invite you to do the same. And as God is drawing you, say, Lord Jesus, please come into my life. Please forgive all of my sin. Adopt me into your family. Begin to change me, Lord from the inside out. Please give me your strength to be an overcomer. Please begin to show your purposes for my life. And Father, I pray for everyone that you have moved now to pray that prayer that you would seal and save and keep and sustain them and strengthen them and continue to work inside out in their lives as you transform them for your glory because you've got a plan. You're the great king. You're the great priest. And you're the one who came to die so that we could have life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.